are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. As we um, held our first conference last year and as we finished in um, this January, as, as um, just began to pray and ask the Lord what, what He was doing in our movement. And last year our, our theme was, and breath came, Ezekiel 37.10. And as I read on that verse, it says, breath came and they came to life and they stood. And I believe that God is calling us to stand, stand in our identity, but also stand in mission. And so as we prayed through that, I said, Holy Spirit, what, what, what are you directing us as a conference? Who, who do we invite? How does that work? We, we believe strongly in relationship, ministry out of relationship. And, and so I started to pray, and, and I started to go, okay, who do we invite? And there's some names in my head, and, and I just felt the Holy Spirit stop me. I was pacing in my house, and he says, you're going to invite a general. And I said, a general, Okay. Who's a general? Who, who, who would you like me to invite? It's January. Our conference is in June. Who, who am I? You know, a general might take three years to get a general of the faith to come. I, I don't know. Like, God, if you're doing it, though, you can do it. And so as I just, as I prayed, I, I felt him say, wait a couple days. I'm like, okay. And the anxious me is like, I want to book someone. I, I got to figure out what we're doing. And, and I waited. And I just was obedient. And as I waited, I prayed. And, and I, through prayer, I felt the Lord remind us of two years ago when with partnering with Missions Fest, we were able to have Lauren Cunningham come. And I just said, if there's anybody that could speak on, and they stood, one general in the faith would be Lauren Cunningham. And my immediate thought was, that's not possible. Lauren, Lauren is, is older. I'm not sure if he would travel. I'm not sure if he's still traveling, but that would be incredible if it could happen. And so I, I prayed about it, and I said, okay, God, if you're leading this, who do I know from YWAM? And so a friend, I was speaking in the States in, in Reading in, in uh, February and at a church, and, and so I'm in this Alliance church, and there was a guy at the back of the room, and, and he came, and he said, my name's Jim, and I'm from Kona, and, and I'm one of the YWAM leaders. I have a word for you. And so we had just connected, and so I said, I'm going to reach out to my new friend Jim that I had just met, reached out to Jim Orid, and Jim, Jim connected us and said, you should invite him. And I said, okay, I'll invite him. You know that, come on. And within two or three days, I got a response back saying, Lauren and Darlene will be praying about this invitation. And I said, God's up to something. The fact that they're even available, the fact that they're praying about coming to Edmonton. And so tonight, we are honored to have Lauren Cunningham. Lauren has been to every nation, almost every territory, island, the islands that are territories, not even nations in the world. He, I think it's 251 nations. And, um, and we have heard him the last couple days, and he is a general in the faith. And I can tell you that YWAM has 36,000 staff. YWAM started as something in his heart that God placed, and it became a movement that is all over the place. It's all over the world. It's in every nation. It's just everywhere. And, and, and ministries, he was telling us about all the subsidiary ministries that have raised up because you know, people that got saved said, we need to do this. We need to go and reach these people. And so we've been challenged. We've been, he's been imparting something tonight. And I know, or all weekend, but I know tonight he's going to impart something. And so I, I want you to open your heart as he speaks tonight. Because this is a general that has lived it. He said yes in the private long before it ever came to the stage. 
And he's been on many stage with many world leaders. But he continues to say yes to God. And I, I don't know about you, but I preached this this morning. I, I want to live my life that when I'm 82, turning 83, that the character and the integrity and, and the life that I live could even be somewhat close to what we see. I, I just know that. And, and I think we're all called to live with that kind of character and commitment to the gospel. And so I want you to give a real warm resurgence welcome to Lauren Cunningham. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. He walked with man in the cool of Eden, but sin interrupted that union. So God created the missionary. God said, I need someone willing to say no to the status quo, no to the dream of wealth, leave their families to fly to a distant land and learn a language they have never heard, ride in cramped buses on backs of camels, someone who would sleep anywhere, eat anything, bear the heat, and fight the freeze with a smile on their face, just to take the gospel to a people not their own. So God created the missionary. God said, because the harvest is plentiful, I need someone ready to sow the seed, to plow the ground, water the seed, and reap the harvest which is ripe. Someone to go and train, to multiply the crops, and to answer the call and pay the price. So God created the missionary. God said, I need someone who is a radical servant of all, taking the lowliest job, washing the feet of the poor, caring for the sick, and cleaning their wounds. I need someone to visit the prisoner, care for the widow and the orphan, to sit in the dust with a child and tell them that they are loved. So God made a missionary. God said he needed someone who would believe that blind eyes could see and lame feet could walk and that the dead could live again. Someone who would pray long hours and intercede through the night with wordless groans of petition so that one soul might be saved. God said, I need someone honest and brave, full of grace, mercy, and compassion, free from fear and passivity, walking in true identity, someone burning with love and girded with truth, someone who radiantly reflects God's glory. So God made a missionary. God said, I need someone who would say yes before they were asked. Someone who would go to distant islands, barren deserts, inner cities, closed nations, next door neighbors, 
and prestigious universities to reach the unreached. Who would hike any mountain and endure any obstacle? Because how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So God made the missionary. Hello, missionaries. If you're in the will of God, you have been sent. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So whether it's on a job, in an office place, a factory, a schoolhouse, wherever you are, if you're in the will of God, you're his missionary or his mission field. Which is it? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And it's a joy to be with you here in Edmonton once again. I love to be in Edmonton. You have a beautiful place and a beautiful uh, weather some of the time. <laughs> I, I kid my Edmontonians when they're elsewhere. I said they live in igloos up there. And so a lot of people believe that now. But uh, I'm also happy to have the founder of YWAM Canada and his wife here tonight. I want you to meet uh, Arnie and Heidi Breitkreutz. Would you stand up? So I first came here in 1965, and they were the first ones I got to know, and uh, others. And then in 66, we had an outreach here in Edmonton, door to door in April when it was cold, really cold. And that was a motivation to get in the house and get more time with the people. But uh, then we took a team across for 1967 to Montreal and to Quebec. In fact, we were able to cover the majority of the homes, I, I'm saying above 50% of the homes in the uh, province there in 1967 and end up at the World Fair. We had about, uh, I don't know, 200 or more YWAMers there at the time. And uh, that we have a lot of wonderful experiences together, not just in Canada, but in other parts of the world. And it's also, a delight to see those that uh, have been a part of this uh, conference. I've been here two days, and uh, this is my third, I think that's right. And uh, I'm a little confused, you'll understand. Uh, my wife and I left in uh, March, and, and we went to the mainland USA, and then on to Europe, and ministered there, and then on to China, and Mongolia, and... and uh, yeah, also Korea. We, I think we were three weeks there in Korea. And uh, just got back in time to go uh, to Texas for another conference there. And it, it was uh, just right for us because she had to go to Mexico by herself to minister. She's, you know, she's young, uh, three years younger. And, uh, <laughs> and so I got to tell you this, though. You know... She is so alive, you wouldn't know how old she is, really. In fact, our little grandchild, she was just five at the time, 
was asked by our students, how old are you and Grandpa, me? I mean, she was asked by one of the students. And, this, and she said, uh, I think my Papa Lauren, I think he's in his 70s. And Nana Dar, she's either 21 or 22, I don't know which. <laughs> and do you know, she's never corrected her. I think she's become her favorite grandchild, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> but she's been ministering down in Mexico while I'm up here uh, ministering in, yes, this, this, this wonderful place too. But uh, we, we should meet together tomorrow. I get up at 3 tomorrow morning and uh, check in at 4, and uh, we should meet. I, I arrive home at 7, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, Edmontonian time, and she arrives two hours earlier, so we'll get to meet. And we, we spend about uh, six days there, and then I have to head out to Korea again and, and other places, and we end up together back in Australia. So we are too old. Yeah, right. We just keep asking each other, what are we going to do when we get old? <laughs> we, we can't imagine, so we're going for God, and I'm gone about 200 days a year, and she's gone almost that much with me, and sometimes on her own. But uh, I also brought my books here, so I, this is important to me, if not to you. I, I believe that the messages that you get in the books, I'm able to go deeper and, and really make explanations and get the details right and so on. And, uh, and so I have, uh, I just have now down, it's down to five books left, uh, five titles left. The first one is called, Is That Really You, God? Have any of you read it? All right, uh, four or five. And uh, <laughs> it's in 140 languages. And uh, millions have read it, so you better get educated and get this one. But really, truthfully, it's about uh, knowing God's voice. And I do it in a narrative a way, telling stories, and then getting the principles that way. It's a little easier. It's like uh, sugar on the medicine. It's easier to go down. And so that one, it's a two-hour read. And uh, that tells you, um, in the subject of knowing God's will in your life, by listening to him. The second one is called Making Jesus Lord. And I begin there with the story of when I picked up my wife for dead out in the deserts. And uh, I may end up with that tonight, I'm not sure, but that story. But it's, it begins by talking about what it means to make Jesus Lord as, as the Lord leads us from glory to glory into his, his, uh, his character and understanding and so on, uh, there are tough times that you, you finally grow even more and faster. And that affects the mission as well. And so the third one is on faith and finance. And that one, uh, well, any anyway, you'll, you'll want the one, first one to know God's will and the second one, how to do God's will, that's making Jesus Lord and relinquishing rights. And the third one is how to pay for God's will. So you'll need all three of those. <laughs> and so first one up here gets one of these. <laughs> you just get one. 
the ones that I'm really been pushing a, a, the understanding of is the power of the Word of God to change any nation. And, and uh, many are thinking in the Word of God that the whole Great Commission is telling people about Jesus and seeing them accepting Jesus. But you're forgetting the very first gospel. In Matthew, we are to disciple nations. And as we do so, Jesus gave four soils, and only one of them was good. And your soil is not only you and your heart. A seed in good soil will produce so much and then multiply in the seed of the fruit. And so whenever we have our hearts right, then transformation can take place. But God doesn't start, start there. He goes corporate on you. That's your family. That can be a good soil or not. And then there's the community. There's the church. Then there's the city. Then this nation. Then the world. And so I want to talk to you about the world. And what would it mean if... As a boyhood dream of mine from seven years old, I wanted to go to the moon to put up there, God is love. I, I want to say to you that the Bible can make a difference in seeing what could happen in the whole of the world. And there's something that we need to grasp and understand. And so I pick out, after going to all nations and dependent countries, you have to put those two together to get to the number 241 in Britannica uh, Encyclopedia, but I think it's 251 having gone there because they put some together they shouldn't. I know, I know. I even had to go through customs and immigration again just between the two. This is what was supposed to be one. So as, as uh, I, I got to all of them, finally my last country was Libya. And it was, dis you know, it was against the law to go to Libya from American law. It was against the law for an American to come to Libya for the Libyan law. <laughs> but I went with a higher law. And uh, anyway, yeah, that, was a, that was a thrill. And <laughs> I want to say to young people, if you're wanting a, an adventure, start obeying Jesus. And if you are, like cutting-edge adventure, you can see it with Jesus. Get out of those ideas that drugs or alcohol or something like that gives you a, that adventure. You don't even know when you've gone through it. But with mine, you really know. <laughs> I've gone through armies. In fact, I went through four armies in one war and uh, whole lines of armies. And uh, it's, it's a thrill having gotten through. <laughs> anyway, but when you see what God can do, that's the thrill of it all. You, God was there. God did things that I could not have done. And uh, so this book is talking about the nations and how the Bible, when it came into their foundational documents and so on, like the, the constitutions or whatever it was for that country, everything started to change. And I went through this last night showing what happened in 1500 whenever Reformation took place because the Bible was put in the language of 20 languages in Western Europe and the Western civilization was born. Soon it was 50 languages. But as that was born, everything that followed, including they wanted schools so they could learn to read because 
Gutenberg had a press, but now we have the Googleberg press. And that'll take you a lot further when you understand how God is using it to get the Bible to every part of the world. And then, as we understand, science came out of that and the fathers of modern science. I told them that last night that I had found through my DNA that I was, I was connected with the father of modern science, Francis Bacon, because Bacon and Ham all have the same DNA. Anyway, they, some of them didn't believe me, but I, I, it's really, you, you check out with the scientists. I have, I have a have a doctor here tonight, he says, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it before you would fully endorse it. But uh, whenever we understand what the Bible does, then we will want to get it out. And so this is my latest book. It's called We Can End Bible Poverty Now. This is the first time in all of history that the Bible can be gotten into, translated into all uh, 7,092 languages, and we know we'll find a few more in addition to that as we get in, for example, in Central Africa among the pygmies and others. And so and we know there's a few out there more than that, but those we know know where they are, and we want to actually get the Bible in all of those, and now the Bible societies and the translators, and I'm, we're working together now, because in, in 2000, the year 2000, uh, Roy Peterson, the head of Wycliffe at the time, announced at the Billy Graham Congress in, in uh, Amsterdam that it would take 150 years to start translating the last language on earth. 150 years. We said, that can't be. That can't be. So 17 of the larger missions, uh, including YWAM and, and Campus Crusade and others, but uh, also the translators and others, we began to meet together in leadership three times a year. For 18 years now, this has been going on. And we have seen everything speed up. And dear Roy, he's now the head of, of American Bible Society. But uh, he was out at Kona at our, our campus along with all the others. And he announced in 2010, I can tell you now, it will not take 150 years. What God has done in those 10 years as we've been meeting together, working together, learning new ways, and so on, working a lot of things God has given to us, and, and we're the boots on the ground into the nations as well as uh, helping them have a platform to come and work with us, uh, with our connections. And so we're in 191 nations full-time, but we're in all the nations uh, part-time, and including, yes, the one they're talking about, uh, some leader in U.S. meeting with a leader somewhere in this other country. Well, I went there in 96, the other country, and we've been feeding orphans there ever since. We have 72,000 orphans we feed there every day in that little country yeah, up in a certain part of the... I don't say the word because of recordings. But anyway, understand what God is doing. They know what we're doing, but but uh, it's, it's safer not for them to lose face. And so we're, we're going that way. But uh, understand what, what we're saying here to, is the changes that are taking place so fast. We are seeing literally a, a world that is about to explode for Jesus. And that's amazing to me. And so we talk about everything from satellites to uh, other means of getting it out, SD cards and micro SD cards and, and uh, 
by Bluetooth and, and email and every other way, as well as hard copies. And I've gone door to door in the Arctic up in the north of, uh, we got it to, we went to every home up there in the north of Norway. And uh, we've done that in Brazil. And every time when I go to the Brazilian homes and all, I notice what happens. But there is a laying of a foundation that is so important because there's something major happening. Now, I was just, you know, I, 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 I'm on contact with uh, especially texts and phone calls and emails, but I, I leave the others to the others, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all those. But, uh, but I was just getting this in today, and I said, I will, I will say it tonight. And they said, we need eight, we have on campus in Kona, five different programs just for children. And we have a half, we have 500,000 children, 500 children, not 500,000, 500 children that are in our schools. And we have preschool through high school. Uh, high school. And uh, then we have also the university. Now, the university is modular. We're in 162 nations now with it. And so as, as we have teachers there, we're looking for those. They need nine more teachers. I thought it was three they needed. And they need nine more teachers. So if you want to have a stint at missions, let us know. I'll be back there signing books at the table at the end of this time. But uh, as, as we start out tonight, I want to show you a, a video that uh, I will describe visually what I believe is coming. I believe the greatest spiritual awakening the world has ever known, ever known, we're not talking about millions, into the billions, coming to Christ. And it's happening, and there's a wave that is growing. And the older ones, so don't say you don't have a place, they're going to be on the jet ski pulling the younger ones up to the top of that wave. Because the older ones have had that experience, and they know waves, and they know waves of the Spirit. And as that happens, the younger generation, especially, I'm looking at the uh, millennials, they are a different breed. They have tools of communication that they're looking, you know, and they're not even watching crossing the street. But as, this, as these tools are used for the glory of God, you're going to see the world change. Now, notice the one is being pulled. And uh, Toby Cunningham, he's not a relative, but he's a relative in Christ. He said, you wait until you feel the energy of the wave behind you. That's when you let go of the rope. This is First uh, John chapter 2, where it says you now have the Holy Spirit to teach you. And stay on your surfboard. That's your gift, your calling. Don't try to jump over on Billy Graham's or somebody else's. And uh, everybody's now saying, well, I, I, I got his, you know, surfboard. I got his mantle. But uh, right now, it's your mantle. It's your surfboard. And God's going to use you. Uh, God's going to use you. And uh, Billy Graham, I so honor him. I was on one of his boards for 10 years. I know his family. I've been, been in his home so many times. And so I, I'm, he's a great guy. But you have a greater calling than you can have a borrowed one. Understand God wants to use you. Now, when you get into this wave that I notice is standing still now, 
Oh, now it's moving. All right. There's going to be the white. That's the glory of the Lord. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, when the water, when the glory comes over, you don't stop like Peter and want to build three tabernacles. Keep getting out where it's not gone yet. Always go where it's not. That's the place where you're really doing what the Great Commission commands us to do. And so as that, come on out, come on out. He's trying to get out. Notice he's trying to get up there. Anyway, you got to get out where they need you the most. That's the whole point. You got it? Now, <laughs> he's going to, he wants to start it again. He liked that. <laughs> now, there's something about the Bible that has to be a part of the great move of God that becomes a spiritual awakening. Now, when you, when you really consider... I tell you, Jesus is winning. Now, let me give you some stats. In just the time of the Reformation, 501 years ago, they had at that time, one out of 69 were believers and followers of Jesus. But through the, the Reformation, as the word of God went out, by 1900, for the first time on, on the planet, we had one billion people. And so, because of my age, I can, I can verify that. <laughs> and so, <laughs> counted them personally. And, uh, <laughs> but one billion people. Now, this was really done by Dr. Uh, Ralph Winters and also David Barrett. And two of the best, you can't, you can't get any more than that. David Barrett did the Christian World Encyclopedia and so on. But whenever they came to this, they, they saw that one out of 27 were now believers. Notice the ratio change. One out of six, 69, one out of 27, and the population is exploding. So I'll go to the end of the time when they quit the, when they stopped the uh, research. 1980 had four and a half billion. By that time, one out of every 10 people on earth had said they met Jesus and they were followers of Jesus. One out of 10. Now, if you count cultural Christians, you know, I'm Norwegian, or I'm Swiss, or I'm, what? Well, of course I'm a Christian. If you count all the cultural Christians, it's one out of every four. That's where we're going. Now we're going really out of the one out of ten. We want them to really know Jesus. But the culture helps us to get greater in our sending of missions as well as bringing people to Christ. That's good soil when you have a good culture. And a good culture can also host a good democracy. But without good justice and without uh, virtuous people, you cannot have a good, good uh, uh, democratic society. So we need to understand what the Word of God does is much more than what we think it does. And we need to see, for example, if you just read the Word of God four times a year, you are many times less probable of divorce, of alcoholism, of addictive behavior, of all kinds of things, criminal and so on. It just has an impact. Why? It's the Word of God. And the Word of God, Second uh, Timothy 3.16, we all know John 3.16. Second Tim Timothy, it's all breathed on by the Holy Spirit. The breath of life is on it. 
And so as you look at it, there's something more, something really more. And in John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word put on flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the Word of God? And Jesus is in every book of the Bible. He is the creator in Genesis. He is the liberator of Exodus. He is the high priest of Leviticus. He is the good spy of Numbers and the lawgiver of Deuteronomy and the conqueror of, of Joshua. He's also the righteous judge of judges and he's the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. And in First and Second Samuel, he's the second David better than the first. While in, in the, the two books of, of Kings, he's the king of kings. And in Chronicles, he writes all the records down, including your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Ezra, he rebuilds the temple, including our temples. And he also built, rebuilds the wall in Nehemiah so that we have protection. But even more than that, in Esther, he's the king that gives the edict that saves his people from certain death. Now in Job, he's the one that finally Job saw, I know my Redeemer liveth, and then God could give him double for his trouble. And then we see in the book of Psalms, he's the object of our praise. He's the wisdom of God of Proverbs. He's the great preacher of Ecclesiastes. He's the lover of our souls of Song of Solomon. While in the book of Isaiah, he's high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. You know, it's chapter 6. And, and then we also see that he's the suffering servant who lays down his life for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And uh, I, I've just been reading the Bible through uh, on my ice scroll, scroll now. Well, Jesus scrolled. And uh, I've been, I just, I only have uh, I'm in one more now, and then I go to, Isaiah, it's my last one, to have him read it on, on scrolling. I like that. But when I, when I see oh, Jeremiah, oh, I'm in, I'm in it right now. I was reading this afternoon. Anyway, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, you know, he's, Jesus is the one that weeps. He weeps over his people like Jeremiah was. He's the tears of God of lamentation. Of Ezekiel, he's the one like like Ezekiel fell as a dead man before the bronze man. He's that one, but he's also the one that calls forth the, the uh, chapter 37, the dry bones. And then we see in Daniel, he's not only the stone that was not made with hands that crushes the foundations of all the uh, philosophies and religions of this world. Ah, it's coming. But he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the, he's the faithful husband to an unfaithful bride. Us, we're the bride of Christ. And we also see in Joel, he is the true Lateran revival. There's no revival without Jesus. Don't ever say that there is. You know, you look out and go for this or that or the other. It's Jesus. And if he's not in it, it's not revival at all. Yeah, that's, got that said. Anyway, Amos, it's the cascading justice that goes down like, like the justice of God flowing into the oceans of the world. And we see in Obadiah, he is the righteous judge of all the nations, while in Jonah, he's the God of the second chance. Aren't you glad you had a second chance? Amen. In Nahum, or rather in Micah, he is the one that loves just, uh, love right, uh, mercy, but he does justice. 
He wants mercy. He wants mercy. But in Nahum, he's the wrath of God. And you have to remember he's a lion, not just a lamb. And then we see there in Habakkuk 2.2, he says, write the vision, make it plain so that others may run. He is the vision. He's also the glory of God, the knowledge of which will cover the earth. Verse 14 of the same chapter. And then we see in the book of Zephaniah, I like this, it's in chapter 3, where he says, he sings over us with joy. Did you know you can live your, your day tonight and tomorrow to please him so much he starts singing up there? All the angels say, I wish they'd live like that more. Anyway, to hear him sing over us with joy. In Haggai, he shakes the nations, but he also says the latter glory is greater than the former. In Zechariah, he says, it's not your might or power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so we don't get cocky about what we do. It's very little what, what he does. He does the big, we do the little. In Malachi, he is the one that brings the generations together, fathers to sons, sons to fathers. And that's what he's trying to do now all over the world. In, in the book of Matthew, he is the Messiah, while in Mark, he's the supreme commander. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, the son of God. And in Acts, he's the builder of the church. But we see in Romans, he's the second Adam, oh, far greater than the first one. But he's also the one that brings us to Abba, Father, and we become joint heirs with Jesus. He becomes our elder brother as we come before the Father. Well, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he is the love greater than faith and hope. And he also, in 2 Corinthians, he's the true apostle. While in Galatians, he is all of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Even self-control. Aren't you glad all power has self-control? Whoa, he could squeeze us. Uh, anyway, and nothing anyway, would be left. And then you see also in, in the book of Ephesians, he's not only the chief cornerstone, but he's the full armor of God. You put on Jesus. He's the one that protects you. And nothing there for the back, by the way. It's for you to go and attack the enemy, the gates of hell that cannot prevail against you. Then in Philippians, I'm going to pause here a little bit. But in, in ch second chapter, it's, it's the thing that captures me so much is the incarnation. Here you have the great, greatest, greatest, greatest of anyone in the universe by far. And he's infinite. We're finite, very little. And he comes down to his creation, emptying himself of the glories of heaven. I don't know that, what that means. I've never been there yet. I want to, I'm, going, I'm going to go there. But what does that mean, his glory? I, I can't imagine it. But he did. And he did it out of love and in humility. And he came and was born in a manger. Why? He said, I'm going to come for the poor first. And the shepherds, when they came, they didn't go, ooh, you smell those animals. No, they slept among them. That's what, that was their job. That's where they were. They were in the field, sleeping. And the angels, not, I'm sorry to wreck your, your Christmas, but they didn't sing. They said, and uh, they said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And <laughs> It's okay to sing it. But, uh, <laughs> but when you understand, these guys were going, whoa, man, we, let's go. And they went to where Jesus was. 
And this will wreck your nativity scene. There were no kings there. They came two years late. Jesus first came to the poor. He was in a home when the kings came. And they blew it. They went to King Herod. And babies died by the hundreds. Oh, but they did pay homage and give a little gold. Anyway, when you see what he did, he said, foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. This is the king of kings talking. And he says, come, follow me. Take up your cross. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. This is Mark 8.35. And you're going to lose it. The things you are living for. And that's what I'm really trying to say tonight. It's what are we living for? What is our priority? And what do we give up to get that accomplished? There's a decision to be made. Anyway, he went through life and he was falsely accused between two thieves, lost his, all of his influence, you would think. And uh, as a result, he was embarrassed before the world. He's called a thief. He's wrong. He's terrible. No, falsely accused, put into a borrowed tomb. And then we see him next. He's entering a place called Tartarus. They're having a big celebration, a big party. They have just won over the Son of God. He's dead, and they have won. And an uninvited guest showed up. Jesus walked in. And when he did, he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Oh, man, did that wreck their party. And he was highly exalted above every name that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that? What's his name? Jesus. Say his name. Jesus. Oh, come on. Jesus. That's right. Let the world know that name is above all other names. Well, we'll try to get back in line here a little bit. And... In the book of Colossians, it begins with the fact that he is, yes, the creator, but he says he holds the worlds together. That's fusion and gravity. They have to be in just perfect harmony because if too much gravity, then you have implosion, too much uh, uh, fusion, you have explosion. But he can hold it together, so don't worry. We're all right. But he can hold your ministry together. He can hold your family together. He can hold what you commit to him together. That's the beauty of it. And we understand that from Colossians. And he says in chapter 2, verse 6, as, as you've received Christ, how did you receive him? By faith. So walk ye in him by faith. And so we have to mix that faith in to all of our decisions. And how does that come? By hearing, by hearing the word of the Lord. And so as, as we see then, in the uh, book of First Thessalonians, you, you see he's the caring father and the nursing mother. He cares for his own. In Second Thessalonians, he's the coming king. He's coming again. He's coming again. Jesus said to his disciples, just as he's getting ready to leave, and everyone knows it's now the time. And he said, that's none of your business. He said, that's with the father. So forget all these dates. One of our 
little kindergartner said to his daddy out in Kona. And he said, uh, Daddy, when is Jesus coming back? He said, nobody knows. And the little boy said, well, let's Google it then. <laughs> well, if you Google it, you'll find several dates there. Cool it. Your job is to be a witness unto him. And that means even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so as, as we, we look then on to uh, 1 Timothy, he's the one mediator between God and man. He's also the perfect model of a, an elder. And then in 2 Timothy, he's the multi-generational God with the grandmother, the mother, and Timothy. While in Titus, he's the cleanser of the church. When we do it, there's a lot of messy. Messy blood all over the place. Let the Holy Spirit, Jesus with the Holy Spirit, with his scalpel, as he convicts, not condemns. He said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we see that he says to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. He does it in a wonderful way. While in Philemon, he's the one that sets the slave free. Have you been freed from sin? The slavery of it? And that's what God wants to do through Jesus for all of us. Now in Hebrews, he is the one after the order of Melchizedek, forever a high priest. If you've read the book or seen the film on Heavens for Real. My son knows this family well, and they're, uh, uh, you know, he pastors a little church in Nebraska, the father does. But the little boy that was on the surgery table went to heaven, and he came back uh, and said, you know, Jesus has marks? They said, what, what do you mean? Well, he has red marks. Where? Right here in his hands and his feet. And his father, the pastor, said, uh, where, where, where'd you see Jesus? Well, he's right by, Je by God, the Father. And he said, which side? Now he's just not even four yet. He says, on this side. Wow. Wow. He said, I met my older sister there. Your older sister's here. What do you mean? Oh, no, no. She's the one that died in your tummy, Mommy. She told me. What, you, what was her name? He said, she said, you haven't named her yet. Now, they never talked about a miscarriage to a three-year-old. But you see what was happening. But I, I love that part about the marks. He's always going to have marks there. He didn't know what to call it. Scars from Calvary. That's our God. I'll go one step further with this story. His grandfather had died before he, he was born. And uh, they said, did uh, your grandfather, he met his grandfather, he said. He said, did he wear glasses? He said, nobody wears glasses in heaven. <laughs> they showed him a picture just, just not long before he died, a couple of years. And uh, he died in his 70s. And uh, he said, no, that's not Papa. Then Grandma sent him a group picture with several people in it, and they were in their early 20s, and the grandfather was 25, and they showed him the pictures. He picked out, that's Papa right there. <laughs> he looked like he's 22, <laughs> like my wife. And uh, <laughs> what can I say? 
but he's also the author and the finisher of our faith. That's so important. And then in James, he's the one that without which our faith is dead, he is our good works in and through us. Isn't that amazing? He works through you. Without him, we can do nothing. And so we understand that. And James goes on to say, it's in his name that you can resist the devil. This is chapter 4, verse 7. He will be resisted and run from you. But it's his name. His name. In, in, uh, in now First Peter, he says, cast your cares on me. I care for you. That was during Nero's time. That's when they were being burned alive at the stake and, and fed to wild animals in the Colosseum. And he says, cast your cares on me. I care for you. Second Peter is precious. First John, if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you uh, from your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then he goes on to say, if you know me, you will love me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you keep his commandments, you actually will get to know him better and love him more and keep his commandments better. And it's a spiral upper from glory to glory. He's changing us into the image of Christ. In Second John, he's like the mother caring for her little ones. He's the good pastor. In Third John, he's the good missionary. He also takes care of missionaries. But he's the first missionary that came to us because we were lost without it. Now, in the book of Jude, I can't remember the chapter, but in the, just checking. <laughs> All right. Okay, you're awake, but did you know? <laughs> There's three false prophets who were warned of by Jesus. One after the order of Cain who killed his brother. There are those that are killing other people's ministries, thinking they're doing the work of God. You're not. That's murder of a different kind. And you cannot go around judging because Matthew 1, uh, 7, 1 says, judge not, lest you be not judged. And so as we understand that we cannot murder like that, that was not of God. Secondly, Korah, the one that divides his brothers. Yeah, we ought to go back to Egypt. Da, 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 da. But Moses just fell on his face and the ground opened up and swallowed them. You will find in all wickedness, it has embedded in it the, the consequences to wickedness. And the sinners are killed by their sins. Without which, you know, without the Savior, we're all doomed. And then the third was Balaam. And he was cursing the brethren, but God took it and turned it for a blessing. But he did it for money. And that was the greed that led him. But when you look at that little book, and it ends up with, he's the glory, he's the majesty, he's the dominion, and then it spills over into a book, not the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist or, or Satan, but it's Jesus over the Antichrist and Satan. And when we understand that, we'll begin to understand the glory of Jesus and the revelation of him. Yes, there are dragons and all kinds of things, but you note that was done during the time of Nero and the, uh, and the persecution, and they were using 
uh, code, really, to, to get the message across. All the Christians understood it well. Today they don't. You know, they put on all kinds of extras to, to what God has said. But when you see that, you will see that the, the John, he falls as a dead man before the glory of the Lord. Have you been in that glory? I have. I remember being literally on the floor and, and feeling and sensing the glory of the Lord come as we, we had been repenting for several, several days in YWAM at that time, six days. And solid. The seventh day, Jesus walked in. What a life changer that was. We, then you see him in chapter uh, 7, verse 9, that he has a multitude surrounding him from every nation, every tribe, every uh, ethnicity, and every tongue. There they are, a multitude no one can count. And you say, every tribe? What about the ones that, have, you know, all these questions come to my mind too. But, you know, a child, I, I, I believe not only from Deuteronomy, Isaiah 7, and also uh, uh, chapter 7 of, of, uh, of Romans, that you, you literally are innocent until you come to the age of accountability. And every child that dies, whether in the womb or, or following that time, they are going to be in heaven from every tribe. And the more they don't have the gospel, I find that the, 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 uh, the, what we call the, the time of understanding, and that's out of Isaiah, that, that time gets even earlier out of a good Christian home. You'll notice they, they come alive to Jesus. My, my daughter, uh, Karen, she teaches three-year-olds. Three I call them the short people. And, uh, and she, comes, she comes with the greatest stories. But uh, in her class, because, you know, her, a teacher at that time, she's the fourth person of the Trinity to the children. You know, anything teacher said, you know, that's it. And so as a result... She uh, uh, has another teacher actually tell them about Jesus. And if they want to accept, he came back and said, Teacher, my heart was asleep, and now it's awake. And so she went to the other. Did you say that? No, that's his own words. There's something special about that, isn't it? But they're going to be there from every tribe because Jesus said so. And we'll see, I'll, I'll just skip through uh, to chapter uh, 11. You'll see there, chapter 12, verse 11, that you overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and loving not your life even unto death. And then we see at the great white throne judgment that the division is there. This is chapter 20. And, and that's, a, that's a time when there's total silence, when he's finally finished with the last name and the last person. And then you see, chapter 21, they bring with the glories of God of their nation. The glory of a nation? Canada has a glory that's going to be laid at his feet. What's the glory? It's all the things. You remember in chapter 17 of John that Jesus said to Father, now give them glory. And he gives it to us, and he gives it to our nations as we bring the glory of the Lord into the nation through our witness and so on. As you see this happening, then we come and lay it at his feet. These are the sheaves. These are the ones we've won. These are the places we've, we've obeyed the Lord. And they lay it at the feet of Jesus from the nations. 
And then chapter 21, you thought I'd never get there. And so there we see he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning and the end, who is, who was, who is the almighty. What's his name? Jesus. What's his name? Jesus. That's right. Now, how do we prepare for this? I told them yesterday, I think it was, uh, but I don't know that I finished. But anyway, with the story, but it was the Indonesian move of God. Now, whether you take the Andrew Murray of South Africa or you take the American ones with Jonathan Edwards and so on or, or John Wesley and all of those, you put them all together. They followed where the word of God was put. It was in the English language in America, if you follow Jonathan Edwards or Charles Finney or Azusa Street, and it was in every school in America every day. They prayed and read the Bible. And that's where the, the spiritual awakening could follow. And you see it in South Africa. It went to the, the uh, Afrikaans language people. It went to the, the English-speaking people of South Africa, but didn't get to the Mdebeles or the Kosas or the, or the Zulus or others. Why? Because they didn't have the Word of God in their mother tongue. That's why we've got to get it into the mother tongue. While in Indonesia, the awakening in the middle of the, of this, uh, of the 1960s, I went to the Bible school, because Darlene and I were there at the time, just after it, and I said to Octavia Yunus, the leader, what did you do ahead of time to prepare for that? How many want to see preparation for Canada to have a spiritual awakening? Anybody not want it? We all want it. All right. I'm telling you, you've got to have something here, and that's in all the mother tongues, and you got lots of them, not only First Nations, but you've got all of the immigrants. We need to get a Bible out in their mother tongue. How will we do it? Through the young people, do SD cards, and they like that, and the older people don't know what I just said, and neither do I. But <laughs> understand, we've got to get the word out. In Indonesia, they didn't do that. And then... I met a missionary, Germaniti. He was Switzerland, and uh, I was living in Switzerland at the time. I said, where were you a missionary? He said, I was in West Timor. I said, were you there when the revival occurred? He said, no, I left two years early. I said, well, I can't figure it out. They told me they didn't get the Bible out, and there was no Bible among the people for such a spiritual awakening. He said, what do you mean? My wife and I spent 12 years. We got a Bible in every home in West Timor, and God said, leave. Two years later, the fire fell. Think of Mount Carmel with, with the wood on the altar with Elijah, and then he calls for the fire to fall. Yes, it needs prayer. It has to have the Holy Spirit, but it needs the Word. And you will see, while the Ethiopian, who was a heathen, he was lost, he had the Word. And he had the witness, and the Holy Spirit convinced it, then they could be baptized. And so we understand that. You need three to win a person to Jesus. But you need three to also see a spiritual awakening across the land when the Bible spreads. And my heart and my life is committed to seeing that everybody in every home gets not only a Jesus film, and a witness, because you have to have a person for impartation and the testimony, but you also will see a Bible left in every home. And so I've been asking people to, to help me next year. We're going to try to get a Bible to every home in Mongolia, and that'll teach you how to have a Bible in every home in Canada. 
and we only have four languages there, two small languages, and Kazakh and, and Mongolian are the two larger. And we, we can do it. We can do it in 60 days. And so we got it all laid out, and we're going to do that, but I need some help so that we can actually bring in uh, several nationalities because it's going to be a youth exchange of culture. <laughs> That's a good one. And we'll wrap it up, wrap up as a gift because they, in Asia they like gifts. And so there's some of you that need to be there with us next year. So contact me over in Kona. And uh, it'll get to one of the offices that will know what to do with that. But uh, as, as you see what God can do, he wants to do it in Canada. You're hearing the heart cry of, of resurgence here. This is what's on their heart, and it's on a lot of people's heart, so he's going to have several groupings formed, and this is one of those. And I asked the Lord, my wife and I together, we pray over our, our invitations, and most of them I have to say no, just simply I don't have, have many days a year. But uh, I, I said, there's something about this, I'm to do that. There's something in pioneering that is so important. Now, when you get the Bible out, the first thing the Lord told me, he says, I want you to go to 10 major world leaders in Christianity. Don't judge them. Go there and ask their blessing to get a Bible to every one of their people. Now, these three that I'm going to show you, I went to, you know, Dr. Floyd of the Southern Baptist, went to Dr. Wood of the Assemblies of God, went to many denominations, many heads, and uh, different groups. Uh, but 10 in 10 days. Now, I first went to see the Pope uh, of, the, uh, of, of uh, the Orthodox. Now, this, when you put together, now, this is not him. This is a selfie. Oh, here we go. Uh, this, is, this is my 21-year-old. <laughs> but this is uh, Pope Tuadras II, and we became good friends. We, I just asked him, I was flying already over there, and I, I contacted one of our YWAM leaders, and I said, can you get me with the, the Pope? He said, yeah, and he, he sent back, yeah, he'll see you tomorrow, and he gave us two hours or more if we wanted it. We had a great time together, and I took a selfie with him, and uh, I'm into that. Next. Uh, this, this man pastors a little church in Rome. I met him. <laughs> and... We were giving him what we call the Christian Magna Carta. Everyone on earth has the right to hear the gospel. Everyone has a right to have a Bible. Everyone has a right to have a fellowship of believers and the right for their children to have Christian education as well as the basics of, of uh, just staying alive, food, drink, clothing, shelter, health care, and visiting the prisoners. That's, that's Jesus giving that part of the Great Commission in Matthew 25, verse 35 and 36 summarizes it, just what I give you. And so we also gave him one of our source view Bibles. And uh, he got so excited with this. Yes, it's a Protestant Bible. It's a YWAM Bible. And uh, this is what you can get it's free of charge. I'm telling you, you can get it. It's worth more than a million dollars, I can tell you. But uh, it has 50, more than a billion ways to read the Bible and it's a whole new discovery process. Just go to SourceView and download it. It's free of charge. But if you want the SphereView embedded in it, that'll cost you $3.99 by uh, American money. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. So we took a selfie as well. He liked that. 
we also met with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, among these three, they represent two billion people. Do you think that you ought to get their blessing? We got full blessing. In fact, yeah, he's been a good friend for 20 years, El Welby. Anyway, I preached in his church when he pastored the biggest one uh, Anglican in the world, which was Liverpool, not St. Paul. Anyway, he's a good friend. But uh, getting these blessings, we could go to the homes. Yeah, we got a selfie. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of them. You ought to see them. But when, when we, uh, this is the Christian Magna Carta, and I just listed it. That is now hanging in the Apostello for all of the ones that come in, like the, the bishops and all. And he got his bishops together, and he said, I want every Catholic to own the Bible and not put it on a shelf. I want them to, couples, to read it together every morning. And I want parents to read it to their children every night. And then he said it again. And then he said it again. He said it to all the bishops. So when I got back to Hawaii, I, I got a luncheon with the bishop there. And I said, I just met with your pope. And he said, yeah. And I said, this is what he said. He said, yeah, he said it. And I said, OK. <laughs> In other words, let's get busy. But uh, <laughs> when you get that, and I've gone door to door in, in uh, giving out Bibles just as we kicked off for every home in Brazil. And it didn't matter which home. Once I just said, well, the Pope, and I could have shown the picture. And uh, they never said no. They, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Get the blessing. Get the blessing. Oh, you're not going to argue theology. Forget it. Get the Bible out. Let the Bible argue theology. Don't, don't you get in there. And so as we do this, we're going to see something happen because you're laying a foundation. And you do it with the Christians worldwide. And so that's how, how we start. Now, as, as we pioneer, there's a walk of faith. And this I want to uh, leave you with just in closing. In your walk of faith, you listen to God. And when he wants to do something, you listen and obey him. Don't delay. Uh, I grew up with pioneering uh, pa uh, pastors, my, my dad, my granddad, and, you know, I'm eighth generation preachers. And so as, as uh, my granddad Cunningham, he was called the walking Bible because he had memorized so much. The other one was a church planter, and he took his, his uh, five children in a covered wagon when he, he went from town to town evangelizing and leaving a church behind, moving next when God gave him the pastor and so on. And so that's what we do in YWAM. And we've, we've started tens of thousands of churches worldwide. But we don't have a YWAM denomination. We, we link them with the ch uh, churches there, or we uh, put them together when there isn't an uh, appropriate one there. So as, as we have done this, uh, in the same way, this is how we move in YWAM. Uh, when we were told of the Lord to go to Switzerland, we didn't know one soul there, and start a school. That's what we did. That opened the door for us to go into the Iron Curtain countries at the time. I'd already gone alone to Moscow in 1961. I'd gone to uh, Prague. I'd gone to uh, also uh, Warsaw and others. And I'd been in East Germany several times uh, starting in 1960. And so these are places that seemingly was hard to get to. But 
what God did in leading us there to a neutral country opened up so much to us. And, uh, and after we'd been there just five years, we had started schools and bases in all of the Western uh, nations from Iceland to Greece and, and Finland to Spain, as well as North Africa, West Africa, East Africa, and South Africa, all in five years. Duncan Campbell, who taught every year at our, house, uh, at our school, and he, in fact, he died there. His last message was, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, went to his room and, and had a heart attack and died. And so uh, he said, I have never seen a greater move of God than I've seen in this. Billy Graham at the World Congress on Evangelism, he said to 150 uh, journalists, he, they said, Where, what is God doing among youth in, in, uh, in Europe? He said, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And uh, I go, whoa, are we doing that? <laughs> and, uh, but I look back and I see it was a move of God, but how did we do it? We put a map out, and that's why I, I bring maps. Uh, we put a map out, and we said, okay, let's get around the map, see what God's saying to us. At the end of every school, we would send them out. We sent them out to Afghanistan. We sent them out to Nepal. We sent them out to India. I didn't mention all of those, but that was all started in the first five years. Always listening to God, obeying God. And in doing that, it just began to explode. So I was pre uh, preaching over in, in Los Angeles, going up the Santa Ana Freeway toward the Civic Center. And uh, the Lord spoke to me. It was on a Friday. And uh, I just finished my last time that night before. And the Lord said, I want you to go to Hawaii. I'm all alone in the car. I said, when, Lord? Out loud. He said, tomorrow, continental noon flight. Oh, okay. And so I came up, and I saw the sign, Atlantic Boulevard. I pulled off there and went to a phone booth. I see a few young people here. I need to stop and explain. A phone booth <laughs> is a little little building with glass glass all the way around and they have a phone there that you put money in coins and it has wires connected all over the world it's amazing that's hard to you know young people you know if you do this and you go all over the world with how would they know that anyway oh i know it's where superman changes clothes <laughs> all right now we're together Anyway, I called the airline. They said, we have a, a flight exactly 12 noon. It's a 747. I said, a one on that plane. They, oh, sorry, it's full. Well, put me on the waiting list. Oh, that's full too, but I have one at 4.30. Oh, that confused me. I said, okay, put me on that. And so I got part of what God said, and I didn't feel good about it. But the next morning, God said, I didn't say afternoon. I said noon. I said, yes, sir. And I took a carry-on and went and bought an open ticket, went to the gate, and they handed it to the gate, a gate guy behind the desk. And uh, I'm standing there, and he said, you don't have reservation. I said, I know, but I want on that plane. He said, we've already filled it. There's no room on that plane. And he's trying to give me back my ticket. I backed up a ways, and uh, this way uh, he couldn't reach me. And I smiled. Always remember to smile. It's very important. It really is. And 
he said, well, I can't deny you the privilege to stand in line. Here's 12 people. Get the end of the line. I said, if you don't mind, I don't like lines. Can I sit over? He said, do what you want to. But he kept my ticket. And so I went over, and the, the, the ramp that went on to the big 747, there was a row of seats right by the ramp. So I got in the one closest to the ramp. You do the closest, God will do the rest. Do the little, God does the big. And then I leaned forward. And I looked up the ramp. I just waited. Always lean forward. <laughs> Faith is not laying back. Oh, if God's going to do it, you know, que sera, sera. <laughs> Allah's will. That's not it. You do all the possible and wait. A man came down the ramp, pointed at me, said, Mr. Cunningham, get on board. Whoa, I walked right up. I didn't have a boarding pass. The lady at the door said, what are you doing? We've already boarded and we're full. I said, the agent told me to. I didn't think about this until later. Whose agent was it? She should have been talking with him. I don't know that to this day. But she said, you'll have to see the purser. And I said, where's the purser? And he's way at the back. I could see him back there. And he saw me coming. And I, a person in the big wide seat up front, he said, you're sure late. I smiled at him. I thought, not me. I'm on time. This is my plane. You're early. <laughs> and I'd ask the Lord for a window seat. You can ask extra. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> I walked toward him. And as I did, he was looking, 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 much wider than more people than this. And as he was watching, he found one seat and pointed at it. I climbed in next to the window, put my luggage down, and I, I'm just buckling up while they're backing up. And I said, God, why do you want me to go to Hawaii? <laughs> I had no idea. Now, we did have a team there. We have a team all over the world. It could have been a pastoral visit, but God doesn't get me on planes like that. In fact, I fly so much, I'll... I'll be on a flight. I check in tomorrow morning at 4 o'clock. So I, I got to stop before then. And uh, <laughs> that encourages you, I know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, as I did that, uh, I thought, well, he's not telling me. So it's something important. And he wants to show me something. And so I was there three days, and yes, I, there were things I, I did with the team and all. And a leader was there from Japan at the same time, and so that was there. But something more, and then he showed me, I want you to start a school in Hawaii. And so we rented the YWCA camp. And if you have the, for my first home at that school, we left everything in Kona, I mean in Lausanne, that we had our furniture and all. We lived here. I brought my son and daughter there uh, recently. They were just ages three and five at the time. We lived in that nine feet by nine feet or three meters by three meters uh, for the entire school. We had two bunk beds. At the end, we hung our clothes up. The reason I'm telling you this is when you pioneer, just don't expect it to be just perfect. For God, he's the pioneer that created heaven and earth, and it was without form and void. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. 
And he's showing us that when we start things, you pioneer it. Now, this ministry of resurgence is now has 10 years, and it's ready to start coming out more and more. I think that's why I'm here. I'm just praying for their anointing and seeing something happen. But I, I'm watching what God wants, and it's not all in YWAM. It's in the kingdom. That's what it's all about, and that's why, where I go and what I do. We just spent four days with the head, some of the heads, <clears throat> heads of the YMCA, camp, uh, YMCA ministry, and they, they're 150 years old, and they said, would you come and take over? We took over the entire four days there in Germany, and uh, with 600 of their leaders and staff, they said, bring us back to where we started. 150 years ago. Well, I can't do that, but we prayed for God to do it. And I believe that it's going to start a new resurgence among them. So then when, when we lived there, God showed us that we were to go to Kona and to buy this place. So we bought this place. Now, at the one on the right, uh, that building on this end, it was our house for 10 years. Now, all of this time, we didn't own a car. We, we didn't own a car for t 20 years. We didn't yeah, we just lived in one or two rooms, and uh, that's the way we lived. When you're pioneering, I'm saying that because now you see me, you know, riding around in, uh, I, I have these multi-million dollar jets. Uh, we let others put their name on it, United, Air Canada, and uh, But... <laughs> I do have a, a deal made with them, though, uh, because I fly so much, I've made it an arrangement that if I'm not there on time, they go without me. And uh, that's, that's a heart of generosity, you understand. They were invented for missionaries to complete the Great Commission. I believe that. So this is what it's all about. So when we went to Kona and did what God showed us, we knew that we were to build a university and... Uh, so I'll show one more picture. This is not a complete, uh, this is a model, but next one. This is our present campus, and we're about, oh, all the brown buildings up to a certain place. Our, our cafeteria there, will, will, we fed now 1,700 at a time, but it's 30,000 square feet just for that floor. We have three floors. But uh, this is dormitories and all of the rest. From that same building, those four buildings you saw, that's where we are now. And way up at the top, all of those buildings are finished as well. So come, come visit us. We'll, we'll be glad to uh, see you over there too. But uh, especially if you're a teacher, we're just really going for that. But uh, when you see what God can do, it all starts with the word of the Lord and you obey him. Now you have to relinquish rights to do that. Your right of living, i got to have a nice home, i got to have a nice car, and so on. Well, God eventually gave it to us for our 70s and uh, 80s now. Uh, but, yeah, we have our own car for the first time in many decades. But that's not, that's not the point. That's not the point of life. Is that your priority? What about time? You, you literally give up time in a move of God. And you, you pray, Lord... We want to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Time shall be no more in heaven. Are you ready for that? 
That's when all-night meetings take place. That's when moves of God come. That's when things are set aside. If we're not ready for that, we're not ready for a spiritual awakening. We had one in our church for over a year, and my, there was no service that ended it at a, what you'd call a, a reasonable hour. And kids were all sleeping under the, under the chairs and, and pallets and so on. And when you understand a move of God that you're asking for is going to cause relinquishment of rights. And you're going to have to give up time. You're going to give up your watches. There's no watches in heaven. And so heaven's come down. And, and add to that all the other things you give up. Your bed, where you're going to sleep. I'm going to be <laughs> very short tonight. Uh, I'm up at three uh, catching a, a cab. Uh, you know, these are things that you give up. And, and they all say, oh, you must know how to get off a jet lag. Yeah, you tough it out. There's no other way. And so understand that. But you go where God tells you. And I'll be going to Korea from there. I have to fly back to meet with a group of, uh, yeah, a large a conference of Christian uh, medical people. And then I, I, I'm recruiting them. We have uh, 26 ships now in YWAM. And so, and then I go to Australia, and there I meet my wife there. <laughs> you know, we, we meet every so often anyway. But, uh, but actually, most of the time. But when you, you see my lifestyle is a testimony that I can say to you, you relinquish rights, and if I pray for you, watch out. I've had two or three say, I want that anointing. I say, watch out. Your time is not your own. The place is not your own. The things you have is not your own. You're bought with a price. And it comes down to money. It comes down to the things like food. Can you eat? I was in Irian Jaya among cannibals and headhunters for many generations. And I, they told me I, they wanted to give me a feast in my honor. Man, you can mess up there. You say, uh, would you like an open face sandwich? You don't say that. <laughs> you don't say that. I, I, oh, I just gave him a cold shoulder, you know. Hey, would you like some finger food? <laughs> you don't say that. <laughs> I got to get you in tune here. <laughs> don't do that down there. They brought me the first plate. It was heaping with roasted grub worms. So I took some and passed it on. They said, no, 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 it's all for you. They brought me two more plates. Oh, I ate it all. And what would you do? You're going to offend a cannibal? No, 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 no way. But I've had all kinds of food. I really have fried, fried lizards in Angola. I had jungle rat, big rats in, in the Amazon. They have biggest cats. They were greasy and many others. But I had one that was really strange. I, I had one that was an embryo of an animal that was still liquid. It goes down real smooth. They had cooked it slightly. It was warm and slick. That was here in Edmonton. <laughs> you know what they called it? Soft boiled eggs. Crazy culture here. All right. Now, having got you slipping it in now, I'm going to get the knife this time. Whenever you relinquish your rights, 
there's a lot of things you give up that you want. And you, you get it when you get it, but you don't demand it. You give up your rights to receive his purpose. Now, when it comes to life, you give up that right. I just uh, participated with a pastor uh, dedicating a baby. And uh, I didn't have any time ahead. They just asked me to come and pray. And I said, before I pray to the parents, are you willing now before the congregation and the witness of God himself to say, if God takes your child early in your mind, will you ever be bitter against God? That's always a hard question, but I always ask it at dedications of babies because I've seen people get bitter when something happens to their child, but they get bitter against God. And so understand that life is really, really the final one. And when my wife and I, had, we had just had to relinquish several things all at the same time. Our, our, tire, our engine had blown up, and we were driving in a Volkswagen van after we got it fixed. We were three days behind. So we were driving night and day across the United States from Texas to California. And uh, I'd driven through the night, and she took over in the daytime. We were in the deserts. Uh, and uh, she had made the wrong turn at Gila Bend, down, headed toward Mexico. On a lonely little road, a tire blew out. She hit into the sand on the edge of the, and we rolled three times. I went out when the first time the windows went out, and I, then I went out, halfway out, halfway in. I saw the pavement coming up. I just awakened. I pushed myself back in, knocked myself out. I ended up outside, blood streaming down my face. And, uh, I looked for Darlene, and she was some feet beyond me, lying face down. Back of her head was opened up, and I rolled her into my arms, and she wasn't breathing. Her eyes were open, but glassy, not seeing. And I've never felt more lonely in my life. There wasn't a car on the road. We were on the wrong road. There wasn't a tree, not a house, not a person, just scrub bush bush and sand and I sat there and God spoke it's the only time I've heard the voice of God audibly that I know of and he said Lauren do you still want to serve me now that's a word that is a test word and I said God I have nothing left I was I was pity party and then I thought of all the things I call mine. You know, my education, my plans, my, everything we call mine. And I realize it's all gone like that. You don't have anything to keep. Everything is gone. Then my relationships, and they're all gone. There's nothing that lasts out of this world, of your relationships, of the things you have, your money. Everything is gone except in Christ. And that's what he wants and what he wanted of me. I put it into Christ on that day. The lordship of Christ is much more than just calling him Lord. And so when I did that, he said, pray for Darlene. I had no hope before. Now I had faith. 
Faith comes by hearing. Twelve ladies heard the same voice at the same time in L.A. and said, God said, pray for Lauren Cunningham and Darlene right now. They prayed. I found that out uh, three weeks later, I think it was. I went there bandaged, bandaged up and, and my back with a you know, brace and all. And, uh, and so I went there to preach. I always try to fulfill my commitments. And so Mrs. Wilson came up and told me, what time was it? And I told her, 11.20, according to the police. And uh, we, when they came, they brought the ambulance. That was a year, hour later. And uh, we went into the hospital, uh, 120 kilometers. And, uh, and God literally told me on the, in the, by the gurney with her, uh, she, she, uh, she was, the police told my parents, they, they've been in a terrible accident. Your son will have a broken back, but the, the, his wife won't make it alive to the hospital. She was still gasping only. And uh, he said, she's going to be all right. I looked at her, and she smiled at me, opened her eyes. She doesn't remember. She's unconscious. But God has an answer. And, and he gave me back my partner, but she's not mine. She's bought with a price. I gave her to the Lord. That's why she's in Mexico and I'm in here. That's all a part of it. And it also has to do with everything else in your life. Here's what I want to ask. Is there something you should relinquish? It may be your reputation. It may be relationships. Whatever it is, we had to give up our babies to the Lord when they were small. I was going into Albania. I tried to get in three times. At that time, it was the most dangerous place on earth. And uh, they killed all Christians. So I was going in as a Christian. And uh, I, I was blocked by the government itself. But uh, in this, we had to give up our babies to the Lord. Now, it's one thing to give up rel relinquish rights. But it's another thing. You don't give up your responsibilities. I said, how, Lord, am I going to do that? He said, I will be a father to the fatherless. He'd take my place. There's a point where you have to give it up to see the releases God wants to do through you. And it's not an easy thing. If I told you that, it, it's not God. It's just something you have to deal with. I want you to bow in prayer. Lord, I want to pray for my friends here. And I pray that you'll do something among them and in them, both corporately among them, in their churches, in their local groups, in resurgence, in all of these places. But also, I pray that you'll do this individually, where if they're the only one that stands, they will stand. And there standing, they will have the full armor of God on. And I pray for that. I pray that you'll give them clarity of the voice of the Lord in their life, so that they will know when you have spoken and they will obey without any, any time of disobedience, even uh, a time. Because delayed obedience is also disobedience. And so, Lord, make it clear, both what, when, where, how, all of those, doing and, writing, right, doing and saying the right thing at the right place with the right time at the right with the right attitude of heart, within the right authority structure, and with the right people and all the rights that are there, as we mature in you, 
we begin to see how the ways of God are so exacting, but also exciting. And Lord, I pray that we'll learn that. Not just know the acts of God, but the ways of God. I pray that in Jesus' name. How many feel there's something you need to relinquish to the Lord, and you just want to raise your hand? There's something God puts on your heart. Now hold your hand up. I want to pray for just you. Lord, you see the hands and you know their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that this relinquishment of whatever it is for your glory, for your purpose, for your word, it's not joining an organization or a local church or anything else that's done in other ways, but this is something they're saying directly to you. And now, Lord, I just pray that you will bless them with the nearness of your presence so that it becomes a joy for them to obey you in what they thought was going to be really hard. I pray as a result that they will see fruit that remains way beyond what they could have ever dreamed of. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And I say amen. And the people said... Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.